Do you like podcasts about movies, television shows, books, games, and pop culture? How about sports like football and tennis? Here at Freaking Geeks Media, one of our many goals is to create a variety of podcasts that you can enjoy listening to. From the Freaking Geeks podcast to Hungry for Hannibal, Friday Night Mics, the American Gods podcast, and Stranger Things, we know that giving you an assortment of options is one of the best ways of bringing you back for more. But it does take quite a bit of work and expense on our end to make these podcasts a reality. Patreon gives us the opportunity to make a living doing what we love. However, to do this, we need your help. By donating as little as a dollar a month, you get access to both past and upcoming Patreon-only content, as well as early access to regular episodes before they appear on iTunes. Other tier rewards include monthly Loot Crate giveaways, access to live broadcasts, Freaking Geeks t-shirts, magnets, and much more. We can honestly say that anything given is greatly appreciated. So, consider supporting us by going to www.patreon.com slash freakinggeeks and check out what we have to offer. We think you'll like what you see and hear. Welcome to the Freaking Geeks Podcast, the flagship podcast of Freaking Geeks Media. In this podcast, hosts Michael, Sarah, and Barry crank the geekiness to 11, covering everything from movies and television to pop culture, video games, books, and so much more. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Okay, now it's time to start the show. All right, uh, we're back on the podcast, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, and it's been a while since I've seen this, Jacob. When was the first time you saw this movie, and when was the last time you saw it, you know, before you watched it for this episode? Um, first time I, first time I saw it was probably around uh, 13 or 14 years old. Like, it was, uh, it was pretty early on. I realize that kind of makes gives everybody a, an idea of how old I am. Not that old, surprisingly. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, it was my dad. One of my dad's favorite movies because I had grown up watching and loving like James Bond and everything like that. So this was absolutely a must because. Yeah, it makes fun of them all so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, when was the last time you saw this before you had to watch it for this review? Uh, actually, it was uh, at the beginning of this year because <laughs> oh. I, I tried to make it a point to kind of go back and watch it because of how much I enjoy spy movies. And uh, last year I went through and watched – a lot of the uh, Sean Connery James Bond movies. So this this one felt like a, a nice little thing to be like, those are great in their own way, and they have their own little campiness. And here's some of the things that clearly shows what issues they have. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we'll get into that because there's, there's, um, it's a comedy. 
And I remember for myself, I didn't see it initially in theaters. I just remember a lot of my friends. This is when it, after it came out on on DVD uh, and VHS. I guess it's the late it's the late nineties, really. So I guess it would have been. I guess it would have been more VHS at the time, but a lot of the kids that I knew in school would they, they would just walk around like quoting Austin Powers, and I had no idea what they were quoting and why, and the jokes didn't make any sense to me at the time because I hadn't seen it. So once I found out that you know it was it was Austin Powers, I went to the <laughs> I went to rent a movie. It sounds crazy just saying that because I I think okay these days you don't even need to do that anymore. If you rent something, you rent it on your TV, but Yep, late 90s, went to the local video store, rented Austin Powers. I watched it, loved it, of course. And uh, I think I ended up getting it for my birthday. And the following birthday, I, I, I owned it. And I watched it a lot. And um, I just think that, you know, it was one of those movies that became kind of a staple as well for me. And it, the sequel when it came out in 1999. So this, you know, Austin Powers was kind of like my late, mid to late teens. It was like a big deal, you know. So and the last time I saw this movie was about 12 years ago. Oh, weirdly wow. enough, It's a long time, which, I mean, I love the movie. <clears throat> it's just some movies, even if you love them, they kind of fall through the cracks, you know, because you're so busy watching other movies and, and things that even movies that you love just – you know, even if you feel like in the mood to watch it, you don't own it at this point. Like, I don't have the VHS anymore. Of course, I don't have a, a VHS player. And I, for whatever reason, I've never purchased it on DVD. So I think I'm going to have to rectify that. But it's, it's been a while for me. So it was fun to sit down and rewatch this movie. Well, understandable. Uh, yeah, I know uh, um, they have at certain stores and whatnot. Uh, you can get the whole trilogy and one little bundle for uh, not too bad of a price. I think last I saw it was like ten bucks, which is really kind of sad that it's only ten bucks for those because those are they made quite a bit of money. At least the second and third one did after the success of the first one. Oh yeah, I remember after the first one, and it became such a, a huge sensation, like rental wise. You know, because I mean, I think for for its time, it actually did pretty good at the box office. Yeah. But then after it hit VHS, that's where it really exploded in popularity. And then when the sequel came out, like I remember leading up to it, the last few weeks, it was just like all over the news, everywhere, people talking <laughs> about it. They couldn't wait to see it. Um, so, you know, I think it's one of those, uh, one of the first. I can almost argue one of the first movies that really became this sensation in in the internet age uh where the internet really helped to make it become as popular as it was because it's not just about going to the to the rental market and becoming huge and we we've seen movies do that uh, before yeah. and since but i think the internet at the time really helped to expand the influence of you know the popularity of Austin Powers because uh, I remember getting online and just people talking about it online. You know, there were like message boards and chat rooms and stuff that you could go on to and people were just you know, talking about how much they loved it. And leading up yeah. to the second one, I think it really, it really did help. 
All right, so let's uh, let's get into it here. Uh, we're gonna do the rundown, uh, but before we do that, we're gonna do Geek Speak. So, um, Captain Marvel trailer debuted. Now, uh, we talked about this on our other episode that we did this week uh, when we reviewed the Predator. So go check that out if you're interested. But uh, Sarah and Barry and I, we all talked about our thoughts regarding the Captain Marvel trailer. What were your thoughts about it? Uh, I really actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I love the, love the, some of the scenes and the little references and like the clear dating of the, what time it's taking place in at the very beginning, slamming through a blockbuster. Uh, because I know everybody on the internet is like, oh, mixed, like the whole blockbuster closing down is still such a big impact for a lot of people. Uh, that kind of made me chuckle, and some of the stuff I'm, I'm loving the fact that people have no clue. Like, why is she punching that old lady? It's like, if you only knew. Uh, but yeah, it it looked so so good seeing a young Nick Fury and Agent Coulson. Uh, just, I, I'm curious to see. Uh, just a little bit more exactly what's going to be going on with uh, some of the other tie-ins to the MCU, mm-hmm. but yeah, it looks like it's going to be a, a great movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I liked it. Uh, I th- I thought, you know, Barry Barry was kind of un- unimpressed to a point about it. Um, there were some things he had issue with. I was really looking forward to this. I kind of sat somewhere in the middle. I really enjoyed, of course, Brie Larson. I think she's going to do a fantastic job. And I love the the special effects regarding Nick Fury, making him look young and everything. There were just um, – there were some, some shots in the trailer that I didn't find were really great. I don't know. And I don't know if it's just the – I don't know if it's just the the – the style they're going for or what, but I mean, yes, it's, it's the nineties and they did a great job there early on in the trailer. There's some strong aspects to it, but there's also some aspects that I really didn't think were great. The special effects look okay at this point, but I think it's early on. You gotta remember, they just finished filming this thing. So it's early in the editing. It's early in the editing and it's early in the special effects and everything being fully polished. I think Uh, I, I would, imagine they'll go back and even touch up the special effects that we see in this trailer, even if these scenes are kept. I mean, trailers are notorious for, you know, they're filming uh, shots and sequences that never appear in the movie because it's an editing process. There's a lot of extra stuff they shoot for the movie that gets put in the cutting room floor. They can use that for trailers so they don't always have to give everything away. Um, so I'm, I'm like somewhere in the middle, uh, but I think it's going to be an excellent movie, and I'm excited to see it. I think the next trailer is going to be the one to look forward to. If you really want to see maybe how good this movie is going to be, you might be able to better judge the quality when you get to the second trailer. Uh, when that happens, that's not going to be for a while. I'm guessing that's probably not going to happen until maybe around Christmas, something like that. Maybe January is when we'll finally get our next trailer. Yeah. Um, I did want to make a recommendation on this episode uh Barry on HBO I just started watching it I haven't watched the entire series it is 
hilarious. It's a dark comedy. Uh, have you seen this, by the way? Uh, no, I haven't. I've heard good things, but the one of the few streaming services I don't have is HBO. Okay, unfortunately. Well, it's about it's about a guy named Barry. He is um he's a he's a killer. He uh he's an basically he's a contract killer, and he really doesn't like what he does anymore. You know, it's a job for him, but he doesn't get any enjoyment out of it. Uh, and so he's kind of this guy that struggles. He's struggling with with depression because he doesn't feel like he has a purpose in life. And his employer convinces him to go out to Los Angeles, somewhere you know, bright and sunny and and everything, uh, because there's somebody that has hired their group to you know kill somebody. And when he's out there, he accidentally gets pulled into an acting class, and just this this circumstance the circumstances that bring him into this acting class are kind of funny but him being in the acting class itself is a revelation and it, this kind of gives him a sense of enjoyment and fulfillment that he hasn't had in a long time and so it's like this weird mixture of comedy and you know I mean, it's it's a it's a bloody show because there are there are people that get killed and people do get shot, but it's still pretty hilarious. And Bill Hader is fantastic uh, in the role. Uh, I've only seen I think three or four episodes so far, so I can't judge the entire first season. But based on what I've seen so far, it's hilarious and it it's very well acted, strong writing. I would highly recommend checking it out. So Barry on HBO. Yeah, I've heard it was really good. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about it, actually. Uh, it makes it, it's another one, another show that's might end up getting me to go over that edge of getting HBO. Yeah, because I one of the reasons why I refuse to get it is like I'm not going to get a streaming service. Or just one thing, because it just that that's illogical. I, yeah, but, definitely, definitely. Um, I understand. Um, all right, so let's move on to our review here. So, Austin Powers: International Man of Mystery was released on May second, nineteen ninety seven. It's written by Mike Myers and directed by Jay Roach. Runtime of an hour and twenty nine minutes. A seventeen million dollar budget. The box office. Fifty-three point eight million domestic, thirteen point eight million international, with a total of sixty-seven point six million dollars. Stars Mike Myers, Elizabeth Hurley, Seth Green, Robert Wagner, Michael York, Mimi Rogers, and Mindy Sterling. Um, let's talk about our one sentence review. Uh, for me, I put uh, a mix, a perfect mixture of goofy comedy. Strong writing and excellent committed performances makes the first Austin Powers movie an enjoyable, breezy ride. And what about you? Uh, I have uh, Austin Powers is a comedy with a simple premise, but used in a productive and a hilarious way to spoof on 1960s spy movies. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's that's really the big setup. Um. Yeah, plot synopsis. After his nemesis, Dr. Evil will cryogenically freezes himself, 
Austin Powers, Britain's greatest and grooviest spy, does the same. Both awaken in 1997, but the world has changed and they haven't. But nevertheless, it's time to do battle once again. And really, that's it. I mean, that's that's kind of the thing uh, that kind of encapsulates this movie, that, that plot synopsis. And it it's weird. Like, I watched this movie. Like I said, it's been a long time. been about 12 years. And as I was watching it, I think I started thinking of thinking some thoughts that I maybe I had never had before for whatever reason. And one of the things that I was surprised at is, you know, the trope that exists in a lot of movies where the hero or the 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 villain is like a dark reflection of the hero, hero right? Mm-hmm. I mean, beyond the fact that Mike Myers plays both Austin Powers and <laughs> Doctor Evil, so that's that's pretty funny. Um, I, I think. It doesn't apply in that aspect to this movie because you never get the sense, for instance, that Austin Powers would ever go down that road But because it's not that kind of movie and it's not that kind of character. Uh, but one of the things I found really interesting about this movie is how these are two people and, you know, Dr. Evil does – he does mention this at the end of the movie, and which was what caused me to pick up on it. They are both relics of a different era. And the movie does, you know, the script does give attention to that because Austin, you know, he's coming from the 60s with, you know, swinging parties and free love and and all that stuff. And it's the 90s now. And so maybe that doesn't, that doesn't happen, you know, as like it did back in in 1967. And in terms of Dr. Evil... You know, first off, a million dollars, as he hilariously finds out, is not really all that much money these days. Um, in fact, his company makes nine billion a year, you know, yeah. through, uh, you know, through normal, uh, means. But on top of that, it's just, it's finding that he is a person, both of them as, as people really don't fit into this decade or this era like they did back in the 60s and that's like an unforeseen consequence to them cryogenically freezing themselves so i found i kind of thought their thought that was actually pretty um pretty smart you know they they don't hammer that into you but it's just something that you kind of pick up on as you watch the movie oh yeah absolutely there's so many references to just kind of make him feel so out of place just cracks me up like the whole scene where he's trying to get caught up on what's happened in the last 30 years. The freaking sneaker. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, it's um, because he comes out of the freezing process and, and after he gets, which itself is a hilarious sequence, by the way. Oh, it's just, you know, there, there's comedy gold, really, um, which makes up a lot of this movie. But after that, you know, he just jumps into action like nothing's changed, you know, but a lot has changed. So it's something that I think is smart by the movie. Like, this is a funny movie. It's hilarious. It's mostly just a comedy, but there are occasionally a few scenes. Thankfully, you know, Mike Myers wrote these into the script that take a second to kind of put the brakes in the comedy and show – Okay, this is a man who, for all of his flamboyance and his personality, uh, 
is still somebody who's 30 years behind the times. It's, it's not just about the differences in how the 60s were compared to the 90s. It has to do with the preceding events of the 30 years. The Cold War at this point in time, you know, the Cold War is over, okay? Uh, the, the Berlin Wall fell. Uh, Vietnam, you know, took another, what, 10 years or so to, <laughs> till it was done, but it's over. And all the things that happened throughout time, and, and yeah, so of course it, it makes sense that these, these characters are the same age as they were back when they went into the freezing process. So they're virtually unchanged, but the world has aged 30 years. So, um, you know, two people that are kind of uh, just out of their element to a certain extent, given how society is. So I thought that was like this nice underpinning uh, that we have in this movie, you know, and of course the comedy, you know, that's played for laughs and everything. But I do think that it's nice to see that there, there was some attention paid to that aspect for these characters. Oh yeah, like and it even kind of helps <clears throat> somber it up a little bit, uh, not for very long because you know don't want to you know drag everybody down. But when he's going through his friends and they're like going through marking off like all of his friends that he had in the '60s are dead now, like James Joplin and Jimi Hendrix and whatnot. It kind of is a little bit of a a somber moment for him, and then you know it gets to the last one who. What died according to him by the urban legend of choking on a ham sandwich. Right. Uh, <laughs> like, like even though it kind of had ended on a little bit of a a joke and whatnot, it's still one of those things. Like looking at it, it's yeah, it, it sombered up a little bit there, and kind of the realization, like yeah, everyone he knew except for like two people are gone. Yeah, it's true. Um, let's, let's, um, I'm trying to think here because I'm trying to think how we want to go into this. Let, uh, there's, there is something I want to get into. Uh, I do think that there, look, the script is very strong. Like you said, it's got a simple premise, but a simple premise isn't a bad thing. Sometimes actually a simple premise is the best thing about a movie because you don't need anything necessarily all of that, uh, exotic to set up a movie. Um, and given that this is a, a more or less a, a lighthearted comedy for the most part, uh, that's fine. But there, there is something in this movie that I kind of, it's not that I didn't like it. I think they breezed by a little too quickly. Uh, so let me explain. This movie is an hour and 29 minutes and I'll get into this later when we do our grades and stuff. We're grading, uh, the different aspects of the, of the movie, but. It's an hour and 29 minutes, and even by a, a comedy standpoint, that's actually a little short, you know? Um, an hour and a half is maybe just a little less than I thought it probably should be. So let me explain. So while the, the, the script is very strong, the one aspect of the movie that I kind of felt they kind of flew by, brushed or, or breezed by too quickly, was the relationship between Vanessa and and Austin Powers, okay? So, initially, he's kind of repellent to her, right? Um, you yeah. know, just the way he acts and, and the way he comes on to her and, and everything. And I felt like in this movie, 
the one criticism that I would I would have in particular is that their relationship transforms so quickly from her basically as she said on the plane in the movie I would never sleep with you even if we were the last two men and women on earth and we were responsible for procreating just to save the species I still wouldn't sleep with you and so we go from that that to which is about a third of the way into the movie and I think it was about maybe 15 20 minutes later if that all of a sudden she's you know pissed at him because he slept with um what was her name again a lot of vagina a lot of vagina right <laughs> right which you know is a nice callback to uh, to <laughs> yeah to james bond <laughs> um <laughs> oh man yeah yeah we're we're not we're not 16 are we um no not at all but i mean when even austin stumbles on it you're Wait, your name's what? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Which I thought was great. But um yeah, so so that's one thing that in this movie that I felt like they probably could have used another you know, 10 minutes or so of runtime here. I felt like if we're going to go from her having zero desire to to ever sleep with him to telling him if you want to start a relationship because this all happens by the way in about 24 hours. <laughs> I'm just telling you, right? I mean, from the moment they get on the plane and she says this till, um, you know, it may be 36 hours, but I, I, it's, it's less than like two days, I think. And it's just a very quick turnaround. I know it's a comedy and I know I'm, I'm trying to apply logic here, but you know, you do have to apply. There has to be a, a, a sense of logic, even in a comedy. And I did feel like the Vanessa, changing how she views Austin was just a little too quick for me. Like I felt like there needed to be a little bit more of a thawing out process. I know that 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 scene where she gets drunk and she's jumping around on the bed and all that stuff is kind of supposed to show her thawing out. But, and even if that's true, but to go from that to all of a sudden, well, if you want to be in a relationship, you just can't go around sleeping with every woman you see just because you feel like it's it's necessary. Like that's not the era that we're in anymore. That's all great, but I don't know. Do you get where I'm coming from? Yeah, I do. But there's one thing I didn't notice that I had not noticed before okay. when I watched it recently. Um, on the plane scene when she is putting up this wall and whatnot, when she's turning away from him towards the end of that scene, she like, is she is. Yeah, she is smiling. She is laughing. So I think it isn't as much of a she doesn't actually like him. She find she might still find him very charming, but she doesn't want to because she knows like she's worried that I don't want to sleep with the same man my mother probably slept with. That's Why? true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I get that, but I think it's all I think that it's just um the idea of of them getting into a relationship so quickly yeah. given you know, how quickly he's come back, you know, and everything. I And I know, yeah, she talked to her mom on, on the phone and everything. Uh, and, and yeah, I think, I think, I think his mom definitely slept with Austin Powers at some point, or her mom slept with Austin. Uh, I just, I, I find it hard to believe. There's no way. There's no way. Uh, come on. Given, given how much, how long they worked together and the time period that they were in. Yeah. Okay. No. That happened. <laughs> that happened. For sure, especially how he talked about her mom too. Like, oh, right. The little 
moment where he was talking about how not only how much her dad loved her, but if there was anyone else that could have, it would have been him. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right. So um, this movie is hilarious, and Mike Myers has everything to do with how good this movie is. And it's not just the writing, but it's the performances. These This movie really hinges on two things. It hinges on the writing being strong, meaning the jokes land. And and I think there may be a few jokes that don't land like they did in 1997, but they still <laughs> they still yeah. land well enough. And a lot of the humor really does still work. And my wife said last last night we were watching it, and she said, uh, she's like, yeah, it's like if you mix James Bond with Wayne's World. Yeah, but you know that's that's like it feels like you know it feels like the kind of humor that is in Mike Myers' wheelhouse, but it's being applied to a spoof of a James Bond movie. Uh, but yeah, I totally, I totally get that. Uh, but the performances here are great. You know, there's really for a movie that costs seventeen million dollars, so it's not a giant financial commitment. Yeah, it's still pretty amazing that the the movie elicits the kind of committed performances that I think it has because it does. Elizabeth Hurley is great in this movie. I mean, she's, she's very beautiful, obviously. Um, and I saw, I saw a picture of her recently. She, um, there was like some article, uh, she's like, how old is she now? She's like 52 or something. Something like that. And like, 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 I don't think she's aged a day. I really don't think she's aged a day. She looks exactly the same as she did when this movie came out. I don't know. Maybe she cryogenically froze herself and came back <laughs> like last year or something because she looks no different. Um, she's obviously, you know, very beautiful. But I will say beyond that, she's just – she's a good actress and she does a fantastic job in this movie. I I've seen enough movies to know when people are kind of like phoning it in. You know, they're not really – trying they're collecting a paycheck that kind of thing and she could have done this i mean a big budget movie where you're getting paid mega bucks and it's being directed by i don't know steven spielberg or some big director you're going to go in and you're going to give everything you got because a you're getting paid a lot and b because it's a big high profile director but in a movie like this i could easily see the performances being kind of bad and they're not everybody in this movie they're in on the joke they know what's going on. They know the style of comedy they need to play. And they do a great job doing it. It's not just Mike Myers. It's Elizabeth Hurley. Um, it's 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 everybody. Um, even uh, Michael York is an example. He plays Basil. Basil Exposition, by the way, <laughs> which I found hilarious. <clears throat> the fact that he's called Basil Exposition tells you everything you need to know about the character. Fantastic. Loved it. Just great. <laughs> but everybody's great here. Everyone knows what they're doing and they're all working in sync because they, they all understand what this movie's trying to do and the kind of comedy that it is utilizing. So the performances, I think, really are top-notch. And I know that that's crazy because it's one of the things that irritates me a lot. I know a lot of people feel this way. Comedy is not inferior to dramatic or to drama. Like, comedic acting is not inferior to dramatic acting in fact i think you could say comedy is harder 
it's harder to make people laugh because everybody has their own sense of what is funny. Uh, but being a comedian and doing something funny like this, it doesn't mean that you aren't as strong of an actor as, you know, some wonderful, but, you know, maybe very drama with a capital D kind of movie out there that uh, is great. But that doesn't mean the comedic movie is a lesser movie. It doesn't mean that the acting in a comedy is lesser as well. It's viewed that way, unfortunately, but it really shouldn't be. And to me, the acting in this movie is as strong as I think the acting that I would find in uh, a very, very good, very strong, very well-acted drama. Yeah. Well, it's like, um, I don't know. I've noticed it, it seems to be a lot easier for, like we've seen with some of the, like, the later or the newer thrillers quote-unquote horror movies that have been so successful from actors or people who've come from more of a comedic background and i think that kind of shows what you're talking about they they understand the i like how to do that comedic side and they're able to make people laugh and it is a harder thing to do because so many people have it such a different sense of humor compared to what's a sense of drama or, you know mm-hmm what's scary or what's dramatic or painful to people. Uh, so like, it just shows like it, it, there's a lot more to it than what everyone thinks. Like, um, like I was saying, like a quiet place and get out the P- John Krasinski and, uh, what's that? Jordan Peele, like very comedic people beforehand. And they, Blew it out of the water in comparison to every a lot of other movies of the same mm-hmm. genre recently. So yeah. like, it just goes to show like don't don't sleep on comedic actors. You no, know, don't. I mean, look, Jim Carrey is a perfect example. If you looked at him back in like the mid nineties, he did Dumb and Dumber in Ace Ventura, and he at that point after or after that was the most desired comedic actor in the industry. You know, he was commanding $20 million a picture. Uh, he did Liar Liar, uh, things like that. But then he did The Truman Show, which is kind of like a quasi, you know, comedy. You know, it's like a dramedy, really. It's like a, a yeah. mix between the two. Uh, but that showed what he was capable of doing. And then, of course, you go to, you know, some other movies that he did, but <clears throat> like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Great performance in in that movie. Um, heartbreaking, funny at times, sure. Uh, but comedians or comedic actors are like they continually prove again and again how good they are. Because it seems like the only way they can they can show how good of an actor they are is if they go do something in the drama department, and then people are like, "Oh yeah, yeah they're really good at this." Like, yeah, they are good at this, and yeah, okay, uh, comedy's hard. Trust me, go up and. Jump in front of a mic on a stage somewhere and tell some jokes. See, uh, see how many people are left, you know, in the audience when you're done. May not be very many, right? So it's hard, and uh, I think it, it's something that this movie again shows is that comedic actors are are very good at what they do, uh, but it's hard, and 
I find the the like I said, I find the performances in this movie to be be really fantastic. Um, there's other people in this movie that really stand out. So let's get into some of the characters. Um, let's talk about Doctor Evil because Doctor Evil has a son, uh, played by <laughs> Seth Seth Green, and this is my my wife's favorite character. He like he likes Scott or she likes Scott. Um, <laughs> she likes the the whole, all the scenes between he and Doctor Evil, like when Doctor Evil tries to give him a hug. He's like, what are you doing? I'm cool. I'm hip. And he starts to do the Macarena and it just doesn't even sound like it because he's like he's like saying daka 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 daka. It's just uh it's it's And he's um, walking up to him like Frankenstein. He's like, I'm not freaking Frankenstein. Frankenstein. It's like you kinda look like it. <laughs> you do kinda look like it, right? Um and and I like their therapy session together. Oh, shout out to um Carrie Fisher. In this scene, uh, as as the uh, the therapist, uh, in this, so she she was there, which I found great. Uh, oh, yeah. Nice little little cameo appearance among that. Yeah, uh, so she's great, and the whole therapy session was when Doctor Eva gets up and he talks about his childhood. <laughs> it, it, it like if I was gonna if okay if I if I was a comedic actor like and I had to go into like an acting class and I wanted to give a a, a monologue, a comedic monologue, I would use the I would use that scene. That would be amazing. I would that, anyone that, who doesn't get it should not be making a movie. That <laughs> like, that scene every time I've every I think every time I've ever watched that scene I think I've I've had tears in my eyes. Because the the horror of his childhood, and yet the straight way that that Myers kind of, in the Doctor Evil, dry, you know, uh, witted style, kind of just relays that story is, it's just pure gold. It it's just fantastic. I love it. I, I really do. Um, <clears throat> so that's great. And then it, I love. Oh, one part of the movie that my wife she made me pause the movie is the united nations like the united nations that is presented in this movie is as a gut buster like there's a geisha in the in the shot when you see all the characters after they first do you know talk to dr evil there's a, a mountie a canadian mountie um what else there's a uh a scottish bagpipe player there I mean, there's all yeah. these like, yeah, like stereotypes. The only stereotype, right? All these stereotypes, and they're all in the shot for like two seconds, and yet I love it. It's she loves it. She's like, this is great. This is this is the United Nations. This is what they're like. He's like, she's like, I'm thoroughly convinced. This is what the United United Nations is actually like. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. So, uh, one of the more enduring characters in this in this whole franchise is actually is Frau Blumen, who is played by Mindy Sterling. So, you know, they alter her character slightly for comedic effect in future movies, but in this movie, she's kind of Doctor Evil's right. Well, she's not number two, but she's like the female number. Two or number one, I don't know. Anyway, so but she's great because she screams everything, and, and instead of just saying it, uh, mostly screams everything. Like when she calls for Scott, it's 
<laughs> Dr. Eva's like, like wincing because it's so loud and it could like break glass. Um, so I, I love, I love her character. And then Robert Wagner plays kind of the straight man to, to Dr. Evil. Uh, and you know, that's a really a fun thing to do when you see someone like Robert Wagner being very straight, playing it straight. Uh, you know, he's just a businessman. He's kind of run this corporation for the last 30 years without Dr. Evil in the way. Now he's kind of like the head man, but now Dr. Evil's back and he's now back to being number two. Uh, so I, I found that funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The, some of the henchmen, too. Like. Will Ferrell. <laughs> yeah, Will Ferrell. <laughs> a very badly burned. <laughs> If somebody, I designed this chamber. If somebody could open up the hatch, <laughs> you shot me. You shot me in the arm. My God, why did you shoot me? And the whole time, Doctor Evil is just trying to continue his conversation, but every time he starts to speak, he's interrupted by a a badly burned and or shot uh, uh, henchman, which I thought was just. Yeah. It's just great. It's it's this, it's that kind of movie. And so, like, if you're listening to this podcast and you've never seen Austin Powers, and for whatever reason you decided you wanted to listen to the review, uh, that that's the kind of humor you're gonna get. So, if if Austin Powers was something that came along when you were either too young to watch it, or you know, well before you were, or well uh, before you were born, then it's something you need to go check out because this movie is it's it's like I said, it's an hour and 29 minutes. It's not going to take up a large portion of your day, but you're going to probably be busting a gut for an hour and 29 minutes. Pretty much. Like <laughs> introduces random task, random task. <laughs> right. Well, it, it, yeah, yeah. It's, um, cause like, if you go back and look at the James Bond series, right? Yeah. It it yeah. um oh dang it, what was the henchman's name? Odd job. Odd job. And he throws yeah. <laughs> he throws his, his his he throws what his hat, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And in this one he throws his shoe. <laughs> so I like at the which, end when he's attacking Austin Powers and he hits Austin in the head with the shoe, which is funny because in the beginning of the early in the movie he throws his shoe at the at a statue and it breaks the head off. Yeah. But when he throws it, it doesn't kill Austin. It just hits him in the head. He, Austin's like, ow, a shoe. Honestly, who throws a shoe? Who throws a shoe? <laughs> Which is great. Uh, that's, yeah, we're sitting here busting up. We're like quoting lines from the movie and we were, we're just busting, busting a gut over here. <laughs> can't help it. It's uh, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's just, it's brilliant. Um, it, it really, really is. Um, uh, so of course, if you know anything about James Bond, then doc, you know the Doctor Evil's appearance. You know, he's got a bald head, a gray suit, scar over an eye, cat on his lap, Mister Mister Bigglesworth, which I love. That's a an amazing name. Uh, is based on Bond's arch nemesis, who is Blofeld, Ernst Stavro Blue or Stavro Blofeld, and uh, that of course again, th- this whole movie again is just a big. It's just a big. Uh, uh, comedic takedown of Bond, of James, the James Bond series, and specifically the '60s, given that that's when Austin Powers, where he comes from, that decade. So it's taking the preceding, you know, what five, six movies in the Austin Powers series that would have led up to, uh, 
1967, and it kind of makes fun, pokes fun at the James Bond series, the early James Bond movies. Yeah. Uh, one of the things is, and I love this sequence, <laughs> when they capture Austin Powers <clears throat> and Vanessa, and of course, there are, <laughs> there are, um, there's no sharks or anything, but there are rabid sea bass. Uh, killer sea bass, I mean, and which is just ridiculous. Killer sea bass. And they hang them up on this, this, like, they hang them, uh, on this, uh, uh, platform and yeah, above like the water. And Scott's like, thing. and yeah, and Scott's like, they're like, yeah, we're going to leave them in there. We're just going to ignore them for a while. And Scott's like, well, you know, aren't you afraid they're going to escape? And, and, uh, Dr. Evil's, I think it's something like, Something like you don't understand how this works. And Scott's like, I can like I can go to my I can go to my room. I can get a gun. We can now we can shoot them. I can shoot them. They could be dead. And and Doctor was like, Scott, Scott, you just don't get how this works, don't you know? And and it's just it's brilliant because that's one of the big criticisms about any early James Bond movie and well actually a lot of the James Bond movies is the the villain has James Bond dead to rights, and so he puts him on. Uh, a table with a laser, for instance, coming down towards him and gives him just enough time to escape from whatever, you know, whatever thing that he has created, whatever exotic way that he's going to kill James Bond, it tends to, to backfire. And so I love that this movie pokes fun at that. Yeah, like even before that, when he's like, why are you feeding them? Are you just going to kill them? Like, <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> You want to get rid of Austin Powers, but instead of just grabbing a gun and shooting him, we have to come up with an exotic way to actually kill him. You yeah. know, it's it's great. So it, it's yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, the shushing performance or the shushing scene in the movie was improvised by Mike Myers and Seth Green. So that oh, was great. Gosh. I love that. Yeah. Um, and uh, so there's this joke towards the end of the movie, whenever Austin Powers catches up with Dr. Evil and when Dr. Evil says, there's nothing more pathetic than an aging hipster. That's an homage to uh, a Lenny Bruce joke from back in the day. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, there, there's a lot to love about this movie. There is very few criticisms that I have. Like I said, the Vanessa thing, I still felt it could have benefited from a, a couple of extra scenes to show that transition but uh, overall, I feel like that in this script, it's pretty, pretty brilliant. Um, even the even the visual gags in this movie, the penis pump, uh, <laughs> is great. Um, I swear it's not mine. I swear it's not mine, baby. There's <laughs> <laughs> a scene um, showing you purchased it. There's a a scene. There's scenes where uh, you know you have Austin and or Vanessa naked. And oh, in order to cover up the the parts that would give this movie a much uh, tougher uh, rating, they they have some you know visual humor. So as Vanessa stands up and stretches behind Austin, which would reveal her breasts, Austin at that point is lifting up two melons behind <laughs> behind his head to cover it up, and just the the to synchronize those movements and to do it in just the right way and and uh, it's brilliant i love it 
It's fantastic. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. And like it, they do that twice in that one with Vanessa obscuring, uh, you know, Mike Myers. Oh, with the, the balloon or the, phone with their mother. the sausages, uh, the yeah. sausage, <laughs> taking a bite of the sausage and or blowing up the balloon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, you know, there's, I mean, look, there's a lot of, of kind of juvenile potty humor kind of stuff in, in that, but that's fine. It, it, it's, see, that's the thing. Some yeah. of those, like those scenes, it's not even really like like childish humor that's actually yeah. really clever to avoid the childish humor because like uh, anyone could like oh you're laughing at the fact that you know but that takes a lot of work it, it does, does take a it does take a lot of work yeah and like it <clears throat> it kind of it's like we're avoiding the obvious like oh we're just gonna show breasts and move on with it or whatever because like it, you know they're playing on the fact that how many people in the that oh melons everyone has heard at one point in their life breasts referred to as melons right if they have not then i don't know what rock you've been living you've not under been in high school <laughs> or college at all like clearly you, you shouldn't be watching this movie because you're too young and you don't understand that reference exactly yet. <laughs> uh, yeah um, I, yeah i just think it's it's i don't know to me it's i wouldn't even like, it is obviously going to be uh, kind of a joke about the nudity, but it's like, it's a joke about not actually showing nudity, and it's kind of hilarious to me, because, I don't know, I think it's more clever. It It is clever. You know, you know, some humor is just, it's funny because of, of the setup uh, of the joke. Uh, like you can watch, for instance, something like I don't know, Friends or something, and a lot, a lot of people love Friends. And there's the humor in there works on a different level, right? Yeah. This this humor is a little different. It's uh, it's just a different style of humor. Uh, it's kind of a combination of Mike Myers' kind of the kind of humor he enjoys and the British dry British humor, um, yeah. and that to go along with some some visual gags, some visual humor. It kind of gets uh, so it's like a combination of those elements that really makes the humor work, and because of that, I think it's why such why it's so widely appealing is because it's not just one style of humor. It's kind of like I said, a mix of about three kinds of of humor that you know. If you like this kind of humor, if you feel like the dry British humor, you're gonna find some of that in this movie. If you want the kind of stuff that you know Mike Myers has done in the past, like in Wayne's World, you're gonna find that. And there's a lot of visual gags and stuff. So um, there's managed to, I think, broaden its appeal. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's um, let's get down to our grades. Sounds so, good. All right. So, Jacob, give me your, your pros, your cons for the script and your grade. Um, uh, it was just a really, like, like you've said a few different times, it was just really well – written like mike myers did a great job writing it and leaving space for <clears throat> for some ad ad-libbing or improvisation like getting a just a base structure of what he knows he needs to get but letting letting things kind of work towards his own kind of comedic style and i think it just worked really well in this and was just great script with so many references and so many jokes that just cannot help but laugh constantly 
Uh, so I'd give it a 94. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, so for me, I think uh, I agree on the whole. I think the script uh, pros, I think it's a fun setup, uh, solidly poking at the Bond franchise, the early Bond franchise in particular. Very smart writing, uh, visual visual gags. Obviously, you got to kind of write that into the script though, because you have to understand what they're doing. Um, yeah. There's improvisation, of course, uh, but there are, I think, strong writing for the characters. There's a nice through line for both Austin Powers and for Doctor Evil as characters. Uh, some commentary on being kind of like relics of a different era. Like I said, I think that um, really helps out the script on the on the foundation. Uh, and it, I think it's just, it's just a well done, well put together, uh, script for a movie and it, they managed to take a strong script and turn it into a strong comedy, strong movie. Uh, cons, uh, basically I'm just going to reference what I said before. I, I think there are a few jokes that don't land maybe like they did back in 97, uh, but most of the jokes do. Uh, it could have used, like I said earlier, a few additional scenes to kind of make Vanessa's, uh, transition in her, how she views Austin and, and wanting to get into a relationship, I think maybe that could have helped. But overall, those are a few small nitpicks in what I feel like otherwise is a very strong script. So it gets an 88 for me. <clears throat> All right, so let's move on to acting. Uh, so, Jacob, are there any standout performances in this uh, movie? That- Absolutely. Like everyone did a great job. Like even the characters that didn't really have a whole lot of screen time, like uh, Mindy Sterling as Frau, like wasn't a whole lot of time, but good God, it like you will never forget her performance. Just screaming those lines because that's her character. And everyone did a, just a fantastic job. Uh, Um, Number twos, the straight man and whatnot, and just Mike Myers being able to get a very distinct difference in uh, tone and acting style between Doctor Evil and Austin Powers. I just, I honestly, I don't think there is a single bad performance. The only one I would say that didn't give an outstanding one was probably the the. Uh, a lot of vagina character or the actress that played her because uh, she wasn't really in it yeah. much. Like it, it, she was there for a reason. Like she, she did her job and she did a, a good job. It wasn't anything like it wasn't meant to be something outstanding performance. It was a, we're bashing on or not bashing spoofing on the stereotypical love interest from. Oh, from bond from bond he's got to sleep with at least a couple of women in each movie you know yeah uh, yeah like other than that like i mean she yeah she did a good job but uh, she would be the only one i didn't say that gave like the outstanding performances that the other uh, named characters and the actors that portrayed them did so so i'd give it a a 92 percent okay Alrighty. Um, yeah, for me, acting, sure. I mean, I think everybody in this movie, I'm pretty much going to echo, echo what you said, but if I had to pick out particular people, of course, Mike Myers, I mean, he brings Austin Powers to life. 
Uh, I mentioned is Elizabeth Hurley earlier because I feel like she took a character that could have been a much less impressive, even though she's the main female, you know, in this movie. I felt like she played Vanessa just right, like that mixture of you know she's intelligent, um, very capable at her job, uh, but now she's kind of brushing up against somebody who's about thirty years. Well, 30 years her senior, actually. But on top of that, just comes from a different era. And so she has to kind of figure out how to work together uh, and come around to his charms. So she, I think she kind of hits just the right notes in everything. Um, and then, like you said, Frau, uh, Mindy Sterling, I think just brilliant uh, there. But pretty much everybody does a great job here. And like I said earlier, there's like a, a uniformity in terms of like, everyone's understanding of what they were trying to go for comedy was what this movie was trying to do what it was trying to say and i feel like everybody was on the same page that is great because sometimes that doesn't happen um so that's good bad performances no i, I do mention like you said the the uh, a lot of vagina uh actress you know she wasn't in it much i, I don't know that she was the strongest actress Maybe uh, I think she probably was the weaker, uh, but everyone else did a great job, so I give it a ninety. All right, nice. Let's move on to directing. So Jay Roach directed this movie. Um, so what did you think about how he, good he did as a director, or or poor, and uh, what the grade is? Um, I think he did a a really good job directing this movie, it being his first. Uh, Phil, like, I think it was his first. He may have uh, been direct directorial debut. Um, but yeah, I think he did a really good job. I think, uh, I think he was definitely more of a a hands off kind of director because he knew, like, I mean, he had a pretty stellar cast to work with. Uh, that were meant to be more of an improvisational or kind of just being able to handle themselves really well without needing that whole lot of direction. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I think I would give it an 89% because he did a really good job and he knew when to back off. I think he knew when to like, I'm going to direct where I need to, but when I don't need to, I'm going to let you guys just, freely do your thing okay all right so here here's the funny thing you know it's one of those things that i think as somebody who's kind of reviewing a movie and especially when you're trying to apply a grade to how somebody does as director you know it's subjective of course and like i'm not a director so i'm not gonna pretend that i am but one of the things that i think is kind of difficult at times is trying to struggle with how a movie is directed, what's needed as a director. So uh, uh, let me explain. Um, you know, I, I kind of view this as a competent directing job. Um, besides the visual gags and and then some other shots, which are kind of impressive, like the, the special effects shots of uh, the big boy um, taking off or floating in space and, and things like that. I will say I don't know that there is a ton of inventive direction here, right? I mean, there's not a lot of 
I mean, I know what they're trying to go for, and and it's not that the movie needs it either. So it's trying to figure out: am I am I looking at a directing job, which is simply servicing the story, and just being like, okay, we just need a standard shot here, nothing crazy, or maybe is could this have been done better if there was a director who maybe had tried to do add a little more style to this movie? You know, it's kind of a weird thing. You're trying to figure out what's best for a movie like this. Um, I know that sounds crazy because, you know, this is a great movie. I, I fall in that that area of trying to figure out, is this a great job directing or is this a competent job? It It's fine. It's nothing particularly great. But then at the same time, it doesn't necessarily detract from the movie because the movie didn't need more than what this job, this competent directing job was. You know, for me, I give the directing an 80. Uh, I felt like it was pretty, you know, decent directing job. I just don't know that it was a great directing job, if that makes any sense whatsoever. I I don't know. Understandable. Yeah, it's it's one of those situations. It's kind of hard to account for when you have like I, like I was mentioning the improvisational cast that he did or like just they can handle it, I don't know it seems like a kind of scenario they can handle themselves and they just need somebody to be like alright let's get this shot now let's move over here to get this shot kind of deal <clears throat> yeah so. um, alright so let's move on to special effects and makeup um, oddly enough <laughs> <laughs> this actually has a grade um, because there are some like CGI shots uh, when the big boy takes off um, mm-hmm. early on in the movie uh, and I think later on no actually not later on no actually later on when it's up in space and stuff I think it's more practical there are some CGI shots in this movie there isn't a lot considering the budget but I was impressed actually that like the big boy looks as good as it does. I really expected to destroy it. Um, like the fact that it, I didn't feel like it was going to hold up at all. And it does, uh, much better than I would have ever expected. (laughs) Uh, hair and makeup. I mean, obviously they do a great job here because it's not just the hair and makeup. It's the costumes and everything as well. But, you know, to make Mike Myers, you know, the, the bad teeth, the hair, the glasses, all of that. Um, there's just a lot of practical effects in this movie too, uh, because yeah. they had to. They didn't have a choice, and in the movie doesn't need CGI much at all, given what kind of movie it is. But they did need uh, practical effects, and I think they did a pretty good job of doing that. So for me, it's an 85. Nice. Yeah. Um, like you said, there was majority practical effects. A few CG. Uh, CGI moments and whatnot, but they were really good. Uh, I all in all, I thought everything but looked really great. Even nowadays, like there were a couple of things that clearly dated the movie for when it was created, but that's gonna happen. Like you can't expect to go back and watch like Casablanca and not be like, oh well, this is in black and white. Oops, I, this is bad effects. Like you can't that no. Like, right. it's something that you have to take into account for the time period. So, like, all in all, I would I would, abs- I would give it a 90. I think the, the hair, the makeup, the practical effects, 
the how they made some of the just some of the scenes look with the practical effects like the little the props and everything like that just looked great okay all right um so let's move on to editing and pacing uh so what was your grade and your thoughts on editing and pacing for this movie um I gave the uh, the editing and pacing uh, a 94. Uh, I think, like with some of the scenes, like it takes a lot to be able to get some of the scenes shot and edited the way they did. Like the two scenes we talked about earlier with the, when Vanessa's on the phone and obscuring uh, Austin Powers and the scene at the end. Like it, it takes a lot of editing, a lot of time and whatnot to get those just right. And, fit in in a way that doesn't detract uh the pacing of everything worked really well like you said it was it was shorter for a comedy but i think other than like you know, the they could have elaborated a little bit more on the whole vanessa austin uh turn but all in all like it it, it didn't give you too much time to where it wasn't moving forward like it even moments where it wasn't following the whole Austin Doctor Evil storyline, like it was, it kept you entertained. It kept you going and what you needed to do. Like when he was trying to catch up on what he missed in the thirty years, like it wasn't. It, it was done in a way to where it wasn't. Oh, this is gonna be a thirty-minute side story about what's going on. It was really well done and the pacing and 90, and most of that just because that yeah, they did a great job of making it to where you got the story for both Dr. Evil and Austin Powers without detracting from the main story. Okay. Uh, for me, I'm going to give it a 90. Um, I thought the editing and pacing was very, it's very, look, it's an hour and 29 minute movie. Uh, it manages to get through I, I look it's a it's a pretty quick story but you also have to account that the first 10 minutes of this movie was prologue you know we have to get introduced to austin as a character we got introduced to vanessa's mom uh their first attempt to take down dr evil that was about 10 minutes and yeah. so that leaves only about a, an hour and 20 minutes for this movie and so you have to unthaw Austin Powers. That whole scene takes another 10 minutes or so. Um, so until he gets, until we actually bring him back and he's unthawed and he's kind of reintroduced to society, there's only about an hour left of this movie when all said and done. You know, so this movie i think in terms of pacing does a really good job of getting to where it needs to be and tell it's a very slight story you know i mean it's more about him reintroduced to 1990s culture and the same with dr evil and what's really great is you have two characters equal sp uh, split uh, screen time for the most part between dr evil and austin powers so you're paying attention to two major characters here, the villain and the hero, and yet you're still you still have enough time to tell the story. Yes, it's a very bare bones story, 
right? All they're doing is going to Vegas because they got to you know break into his lair and take down Dr. Evil. But that gives you enough time to kind of deal with, you know, the characters and learn about the characters. Funny enough, this actually feels more like a character study. <laughs> this movie. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, it is a comedy, but it does. Uh, but in terms of pacing and editing, I, I just think that, yeah, the gags, the setup, the jokes, uh, the story, it moves by very quickly. Like I said, the only reason I'm not going to give it higher than a 90 is because I feel like it actually could have benefited, oddly enough, from about 10 more minutes of, of runtime. I think it could have helped out with some of the other things that I mentioned earlier. But, yeah, I think it's very well paced and it flies by real quick. All right, so let's uh, talk about rewatchability. Uh, for me, I give it a 90. I think this is a highly rewatchable movie. Yes, I haven't watched it in 12 years. I get that. But I watched <laughs> it a lot back when I was in, in my teens, um, up through college. Uh, and having watched it last night, I know I'm probably going to be watching this again before too long. So it gets a 90 for me. I think it has a high rewatchability because it's hilarious. No matter how many times you've watched this movie, you still find yourself busting a gut. That deserves a high rewatchability grade. Yeah, very high rewatchability. I, I give it a 94. I As much as – yeah, some people, it's not going to be as high of a rewatchability because like, it's one of those movies that it benefits having – some prior movie knowledge and knowing about some very much classic spy movies or even outside of that, just kind of knowing a little bit and not being, no, this is one of the few movies you've watched because like the gags and the spoofs that it makes, even the whole like holding the world for ransom and everything like that. Like you, no, if you have never seen a James Bond movie, you're never going to understand where that's coming from, like, or any kind of spy movie. So, like, people that don't necessarily know that aren't going to have as high a rewatchability. But, yeah, it, or if they're not at a, they never encountered, like, the AOL joke that it oh. <laughs> pulled. Like, if you've never had to deal with that, you no one's going to. It's gonna uh, fall really flat for you, but like, if you yeah. grew up in the '90s, if if you were back when dial-up was a thing, you understand. Yeah, so like, it, I think it's got the rewatchability to get, would be dropping off very hard for anyone under the age of like twenty. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I absolutely love watching this movie. I could watch this movie time and time again without being burnt out just because and it's every time i watch it there's something I'm like it's not the same joke that gets me busting out laughing and because it, it's just there's so many different ones and once it gets you laughing that first time you can't stop like it just doesn't let you yeah uh, so yeah now 94 i think it's just yeah like you said just you can watch it so many times and not be tired of laughing at some of the jokes. No, definitely. Uh, in terms of our, our final grades um, and final thoughts here, uh, I came out to an 87 on this and you came out to a 92 uh, combined. Uh, we are an 89. So, nice. um, you know, a good grade, I think for a movie like this, 
You know, I think it's one of the best comedies of the '90s. I think it's one of the best comedies. Period. Uh, it deserves yeah. to be up there because I feel like it it knows what it is and it knows what it's about and what it's trying to do and what he what it does do is uh, spoof the James Bond franchise and make you bust a gut. And uh, I just feel like these these movies are great, but this movie in particular, I think. It may be the best of the bunch. I know that a lot of people like, you know, the Spy Who Shagged Me, and I love it too. Um, and some of the the other one, uh, Gold Member. But I always seem to find myself going back to the first one. Yeah, yeah, understandable. It's the it's the one I think. I think the the Spy Who Shagged Me and Gold Member. I feel like those kind of go alongside more of the. Uh, the 70s and 80s spy movies that it kind of rags on a little bit more while while those are very good spy movies it depends on who your who your iconic james bond is i feel like because this one is ripping on the sean connery james bond while i feel like the spy who shagged me is kind of going more towards ripping on the roger some of the roger Moore, a little bit of Still the later Sean Connery, but mostly like that. And then Goldmember. The, the Goldmember is a little one, a little weird on which one it seems like it's trying to rip on, but it's more this, like, it gets more towards the, you know, technological, so it feels like it's going more towards the Timothy Dalton. Yeah. James Bond it's making fun of. Like, Spy Shagney takes place in space, so Roger Moore has a lot of a space... Like Moonraker, for example, mm-hmm. it's. I feel like it's just a different era of spy movies. Each one makes fun of or spoofs on. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. No, I definitely agree with what you're saying there. I, I do think you're right. Um. All right, so there you go. There's our grade. Uh, eighty nine for Austin Powers overall. Eighty seven for me. Ninety two for Jacob. And uh, that's um, I think a pretty good grade. Like I said, eighty nine. It really does tell you that it's good hilarious movie uh movie that really deserves to be up there in the upper echelons i think of, of comedies so if you haven't seen austin powers before and you've listened to this i don't know why you would have but if you for some reason you have <laughs> listened to this and never seen the movie i highly recommend going out and checking it out because i think that you'll find that it is hilarious and you'll bust a gut at least i hope you will uh but comedy is different for everybody we did talk about that so but but i think most people find themselves laughing a lot at this movie um all right it looks like that's it uh thanks jacob for coming on and talking about austin powers with me thank you for having me and uh, we'll see you guys next time on the freak geeks podcast thanks for listening to the freaking geeks podcast Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at Patreon.com slash FreakingGeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us, it really helps. If you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to FreakingGeeksMedia at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanich. You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at LabyrinthRose or at FreakGeeks.
Do you remember the last time you picked up a pen and noticed the quality? How about a razor you handled that didn't feel cheaply made? When was the last time a product made a true and lasting impression on you? In this era of the mass-produced and disposable, anything lovingly handcrafted seems to be a rare thing. Maybe it's time for a change, and Spindlecraft can help. At Spindlecraft, passion and superior quality make it stand out from the faceless, automated crowd. Material for each piece of work is thoughtfully chosen, crafted, sanded, and finally polished with the kind of attention to detail and dedication you can't get off of an assembly line. At Spindlecraft, they know that quality of the material is as important as the quality of the craftsmanship and is a reflection of both the artist and the customer. So rather than buying some cheap pens or razors that you won't give a second thought, purchase something from Spindlecraft. To see what they have to offer, go to www.spindlecraft.com and at the checkout, enter the word GEEKS. That's G-E-E-K-S to get 10% off. We're sure that once you have a Spindlecraft product in your hand, you won't want to put it down. Intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin MacLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin MacLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.